0: I'm here today with Alice Quinn, who's the executive director of the Poetry Society of America. And she's actually stopping by before she teaches a class at Columbia University, where she's a, a professor in the graduate school. Alice, among her other jobs and achievements, she was the New Yorker's poetry editor for 20 years, from 1987 through 2007. Prior to that, she was an editor at Knopf. And she's the editor of Edgar Allan Poe and The Jukebox, which is a collection of Elizabeth Bishop's uncollected poems drafts and fragments. And she's here because it's April and it's poetry month. So we're going to have a conversation with Alice. And I thought to begin, since some of our readers will will be familiar with you and the work you've done over the years, some won't be. I wanted to ask about your background and maybe how you fell in love with poetry.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, because I know there's a kind of common story in there too, oh, uh, but I, I'll let you tell yeah. it. Yeah.
1: Uh, well, my mother gave me Volume 9 of the Children's Hour, big anthology devoted mm-hmm. to poetry. It was a series of books, but I only have Book 9. <laughs> and I fell in love with the Pied Piper of Hamelin and with Longfellow and with mm-hmm. the poems of Emily Bronte and Emily Dickinson and even the poems of Thomas Wentworth Higginson, the oh. abolitionist who was edited with yeah. Mabel Loomis Emily Dickinson. For years, I thought that a poem that I had memorized when I was young called... When I was little, five or six, I thank thee, God, for things I miss. Now, there's a Catholic title, right? (laughs) Um, I thought that was by Emily Bronte, but it was by Higginson I I discovered recently. So it was through my mother, who was also a wonderful reader of poetry, Mm -hmm. and I – I read my mother's library. She died when she was 39 in 1959, and she was a fantastic reader. So I read all of Chekhov in high school, and she had T.S. Eliot, and she had all of Dostoevsky, all the constant Garnett translations Mm -hmm. of the great Russians. But she also liked poetry quite a lot, and she had T.S. Eliot. So by the time I got to my Catholic college, Uh Manhattanville College, which was still Catholic then, Uh 66 to 1970, although it was segueing. Right That's into <laughs> a college that would be secular. My brother right. went there, left hmm. Fordham to go there when hmm. it was when it became secular, hmm. and we had a professor there named Elizabeth Williams, who's. Father, Michael Williams, was one of the co-founders, I believe, of Commonwealth. Yeah, that's, that's, that's correct. And she <laughs> taught T. S., a seminar in T.S. Eliot and she shared a lot of the insights that she received firsthand from T.S. Eliot when she was corresponding with him mm-hmm. about the four quartets. Oh, wow. And in the way that life serendipitously or sweetly can close circles or define circles or encompass you within circles. Mm-hmm. The T.S. Eliot Foundation came to the Poetry Society a couple of years ago and said they'd like to found a prize in uh-huh. in America because they felt that T.S. Eliot's profile was waning here. And it's oh, very strong in London. And mm-hmm. she's been really successful. Her name is Claire Rihel and she is – a splendid person, very savvy with a background in publishing. And she said, what kind of prize could we have? Mm. And I thought about it, Mother Williams. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> and I thought, how about the Four Quartets Prize yeah. um, devoted to a unified sequence of poems?
0: Oh, and so we have yeah. that
1: now. And last year was the inaugural one. It was uh, won by a poet named Denise Smith, published by Gray Wolf. And he's a marvelous. Uh, they is a marvelous poet, and the purse is twenty thousand dollars. That's and, great. Uh, this year we have the second iteration of that, and we have three finalists, and we're going to announce the winner on April thirtieth at oh, the what? National Arts Club. If anybody's great. interested, look at <laughs> our website.
0: Great, great. So, so your love of poetry began early with your mother, with this, an influential teacher who, as it turns out, has a connection to Commonweal. Yep. And I, during the time I've known you, which, uh, gosh, it's been eight years ago, yeah. maybe, uh, or maybe not quite that long. But uh, we worked together at, at, a, at a place called The Dish, Andrew Sullivan's late, much lamented website, where Alice would curate poetry, mainly on the weekends. And, and she and I had a lot of fun sort of doing that together. You've just been a great advocate for poetry. And a lot of your work has been—I think even listeners will understand just by listening to you talk—how much you love poetry. A lot of your work has been bringing poetry to the public, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I was thinking even your work at the New Yorker was bringing poetry to the public in a certain kind of way, right? Because uh, you know, the new, your average New Yorker reader it's not clear what other poetry they're reading right it's right. a general interest magazine with political reporting and uh you know yeah. fiction long essays book reviews and your work with the poetry society of america has been you know bringing poetry to the public your work at the dish was bringing poetry to a kind of wide audience and perhaps i don't I don't want to say most famously but you Were responsible for the poems on the subways, Mm -hmm. right? When that program first started, the subways here in New York. So we can talk about that in a number of ways. But I was interested in what you thought about what kind of poetry did you look for? I guess it would depend on the venue, but what makes for poetry that's accessible to the public that almost anyone can can read and feel moved by. Since so much of your work has been bringing poetry to the public, what are your thoughts on that in general, I suppose?
1: Well, people might be interested in the process of how we oh, yeah. choose the poems
0: for the subways. Um, we, yeah, maybe start with the subways. You know, That's a good uh, concrete we, we example. We just had
1: the 25th anniversary last year of this program, Poetry in Motion. Oh, wow. And we had a lot of celebrations in Grand Central, and Billy Collins wrote a Grand Central poem for the, I think, centennial of, of Grand Central, but he also wrote a Second Avenue poem for the launch of, of that s- subway line, and that was right. part of the 25th anniversary too. We read and read and read at the Poetry Society of America, and we mm-hmm. send perhaps 17 or 22 poems over to the MTA. To the department called MTA Arts and Design, which Mm -hmm. is run by Sandra Bloodworth, a very, very significant, talented person who's Mm -hmm. been running that department for a long time and is responsible with her team for all the art, all the mosaics, all the the second avenue amazement. Yeah. And now under her wing, we have the protection of her department for Mm -hmm. this program, which we lost for a couple of years between 2010 and 2012 to a prose program called Train of Thought. Oh, really? It did not work out. <laughs> it launched with the opening of, of Kafka's The Metamorphosis right. uh-huh. about waking and discovering that – the man awaking and discovering that he's become a cockroach. That did not yeah, yeah. go over well <laughs> with New Yorkers. So what happens is after about two weeks, if we don't hear back from the MTA, all mm-hmm. gently –
0: After you've sent the poems over.
1: nudge them. Mm -hmm. And one of them, if not Sandra, her deputy, will say, well, we really liked one. Mm -hmm. And then we will scrabble around and send another eight or nine. Uh And they'll choose two from the first batch. And Mm -hmm. I love that because it suggests that they're reading and Mm rereading. And when I was at the New Yorker, the way I – sifted the poems that came mm-hmm. in every day. And there were hundreds mm-hmm. and hundreds every week, yeah, of sure. course. If I had a response to a poem, which was that shift in inwardly that I yeah. feel that mm-hmm. I've been led to, that I've been prompted to, just a little mysterious shift. It can be a large shift, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something that signals to me that a poem has been successful. Yeah. in affecting me then i set it aside and a couple of days later with the pile of poems that i've set aside over yeah. the week i would reread them if i had that same experience again huh. of reading that poem and then i would reread reread it and then i write, would write a note to the editor in chief and describe my response to it so hmm. there were a lot of layers to oh, that's really to interesting the job, huh. um to selecting and yeah. i would say that each of you know each of the editors would would say yes to 17 of 19,
0: right. you know, recommendations yeah.
1: of mm-hmm. mine. And, and then I would chip away at those other two and uh, about half a year down the line get a couple yeah, of poems yeah. by that poet <laughs> too. And yeah. then also we had the huge opportunity at The New Yorker to kind of catch up with people. It took me a long time to catch up with Kay Ryan. Mm-hmm. But by the time I did, I felt we really had taken too long – To discover her. Uh So in the course of two years or a year and a half, we actually published ten of her short poems. And you and I had a similar experience with Jack Gilbert. Jack Gilbert,
0: Gilbert, yeah. I was going to – when you mentioned the kind of inner feeling a poem would create in you, it it interested me because you did some things like this during your tenure at the New Yorker where you would publish a number of poems from a poet who who maybe, like you said, you felt the magazine had missed or or that just deserved – Right. The broader attention that, that a place like the Sometimes New Yorkers could give them. Sometimes three in one issue. Yeah. Which was really great. That was the really Gilbert, right? yeah, yeah, with
1: Jack Gilbert. Well, actually, when Jack's last book, The Collected Poems, was coming out, yeah. Deborah Garrison was the editor at Knopf. And I'm very proud of all the work she's done. She, she and yeah. Harry Ford turned my perch at Knopf into a mansion yeah. of poetry. <laughs> and she, did a, she was a great editor of Jack's. And... You and I both loved a lot of those poems and David Remnick loved a lot of them too. So David gave me the go-ahead to take I think six poems Mm -hmm. and we ran three right away and then within – you know, Jack wasn't well. So I wanted to run run them as quickly Mm -hmm. as possible. Then we ran another three and I said to David, we don't have any more. He said, well – See if you can get some more. So that (laughs) way we strung along and in the end probably published 10 or 12 poems of Jack's. And Uh, and that was – he deserved it. He was really a wonderful poet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's interesting too because uh, maybe in particular because of the kind of work you do, your experience of – what people mean when they say contemporary poetry is is slightly different but i was thinking as i was preparing for this conversation i was thinking back to our shared love for jack gilbert's poetry and i was thinking just how accessible they are yeah uh, i mean it doesn't mean they're too simple or easy but you know, you can read them and just be moved by them in a fairly straightforward way. And I'm sure you can spend more time with them and unpack the technical virtuosity or the references or allusions right. he makes. But but they're not poems simply written for other poets, right. which I think is a line that gets trotted out a lot about a problem with the contemporary poetry scene.
1: Which so I, is I, less I, and less I, the yeah, case. Yeah. And sure. I yeah.
0: – so I just wondered what you thought about that. Well, the, you know, like, like how you kind of see the landscape of contemporary poetry right now.
1: Well, I think Jack, like W.S. Merwin, lived a life that was very allied with his poetry and his spiritual values. Mm -hmm. And one of his muses, one of his great loves, Linda Gregg, also Mm -hmm. a marvelous poet, died just two weeks ago. There's a wonderful obituary Mm -hmm. in the New York Times. Mm -hmm. And she actually, she was desperate to get into his class Mm -hmm. at San Francisco State and she saw him on one of those hilly streets in San Francisco and told me that she knelt on the sidewalk and said, I have to get into your class. Really? And he said, but you're not ready for this class. She said, I will do anything. He said, don't speak. Sit in the back. Don't speak in the class <laughs> and you can be there. You can, uh-huh. you can be, the, be in the class. And they fell in love and she became a marvelous poet in her own right. <laughs> When you read Jack's poems about coming down from the mountain for a festival, Mm -hmm. a Greek festival in the springtime and eating lamb with your hands and Mm -hmm. being up on the top of the mountain and opening the last can of lentil soup. (laughs) um, And you realize he lived that life of um, near poverty and communion with nature and a very vibrant and devoted erotic life and yeah. one, of, one of his most moving poems is about being with M- Mikayo, what was her name? Michiko. Michiko. Or, uh, yeah. uh-huh. I'm not sure but yeah. she, had, she was Japanese. Yeah. She had a Japanese name and she, she was absolutely entangled in wires when she was dying in the hospital of cancer mm-hmm. and he wrote a poem about pure and powerful and regret that he did not just make his way through that thicket of wires and hold her in his arms and lie down on the bed with her. We love that poem. Yeah, truly. you know, of course, telling the story, painting the picture is not Mm. the poem. The -hmm. poem has rhythm and momentum and alliteration and dark, immortal quality that we both loved.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's – one of the things when we worked together at The Dish was we would choose poems for certain occasions. Yeah. Right? Sometimes the occasion was a publication, meaning a kind of poet uh, that you had long admired would – a kind of collected poetry would be a
1: published. A new edition. Yeah, a new Atherage edition. Knight or yeah, Lucille yeah. Clifton. Or, yeah.
0: yeah. Or, or a poet would die. I remember yeah. when Mark Strand died and and we ran a number of – uh, his poems uh.
1: fortunately by then I've been with the Poetry Society for 18 years yeah. with an overlap of the New Yorker of um, mm-hmm. 7 years and we have put on tributes to so many poets yeah. after they've died. And we we have begun celebrating poets while they're alive yeah. so that we did celebrate Mark in the right. year of his death just about yeah. six weeks before he died. I remember the photos. October think, yeah. 2014. Uh-huh. And 19 poets came to wow. read his poems, and he got up on stage afterwards. No one will ever forget it. And he said, If I had had friends... These would have been the friends I would have dreamed of having, and if I had written poems, these poems would be the poems I wish I had written. You know, wow. uh, you know, it, it was uh-huh. it was so sweet and um, so mark, and yes. um, and we had a tribute to Jean Valentine too. Oh, right, we've yeah. been losing so many poets. You yeah, know? yeah. And C. D. Wright died suddenly, and now Linda and. James Tate died, and not so long ago, Galway and Phil Levine—that yeah. whole generation—and Merwin, of course. yeah. yeah. You know. But I think um, tributes and celebrations, the, the the way we did it at the Dish, we we also celebrated summer with songs of Dr- right, John Dryden, right. and yeah. and we celebrated Christmas with a poem of Frank O'Hara to Grace right. Hartigan, and uh, yeah, and, yeah, you no, know.
0: Uh, um, that's kind of, a, of Thomas Hardy. Yeah, that's where I was kind of going. It was it, not just sad occasions of death but, you know, different kinds of occasions. And I, I was interested in – you might say we're living through a very interesting occasion <laughs> or series of occasions right now with everything going on politically. And I just wondered if you're – how that's affected your poetry life. Are you reading any particular kind of poetry? Are you finding certain poets or poems resonating now? Because it's, it is interesting. Because poetry, I mean, you've taught me this as much as anyone, which it's – you carry it with you. And, yeah. it, it, and it's there for you in joyous times and in sad times and in difficult times. And in these times, I just wondered what poetry you're responding to or what, what you're reading.
1: You know, I walked to work with my little dog, Daisy, and it's about a mile from the mm-hmm. West Village to Gramercy, and I memorize poems. Yeah. I was thinking the other day of the poem of Emily Dickinson's about d- discovering the power of poetry through reading Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Huh. I think I was enchanted when first a somber girl I read that foreign lady. The dark was beautiful, and whether it was noon at night or only heaven at noon for very lunacy of light – I had not power to tell, and then she goes all the way to the end, and she, uh-huh. you know, 'twas a divine insanity, the danger to be sane should I mm-hmm. again experience 'tis antidote to turn to tomes of solid witchcraft, mm-hmm. magician be asleep, but magic hath an element like deity to keep. So, I mean, with poetry, you can memorize poems. I, mean, I would love to hum Brahms's piano. <laughs> sonatas because I love them but I, yeah. I I can only get a few bars into them. Yeah. But you can memorize poems and and poems are actually written to the inner voice of each reader which is mm. different. It's not, yeah. you know it's not written just to the voice of T.S. Eliot or Lucille Clifton it's yeah. it's across that. Mm-hmm. Um so I think we're lucky that if we really if if we've read a lot of a poet or even all of a poet, and we have some of the, the poetry by heart, we have access to something that will take us to deeper levels when we're feeling oppressed by distraction and disturbed by transgressive elements of of, yeah. our, of our life, our of our life in our public life.
0: Yeah. Huh. I know too, and this is maybe not a direct connection to my previous question, but in its own way, maybe an answer to it. One of the things I appreciated about working with you was the attention you paid to poets who were women, who were people of color, who were LGBT. And I was just looking at some of, I I was looking back to some of the things we published at the Dish: Etheridge Knight, Wanda Coleman, Jericho Brown, Lucille Clifton. In addition to sort of, The Mark Strands and the Jack Gilberts, we published Sharon Olds. We published old poets like John Clare. John Clare was one of the the favorites that you introduced me to. Love John Clare. And uh, William Stafford is another one. I go back to an archival print. That poem is all the time. Now I'm 37 because the the is 35. <laughs> we, we, we ran a whole but,
1: slew of poems yeah. by Lucille Clifton. We did. When uh-huh. her collected poems came out, introduced by Toni Morrison. Yeah. And one of them – can we sure. have one short one because I sure, was thinking go for about it, it today? Mm-hmm. It's called The Making of Poems. Mm-hmm. The reason why I do it, though I fail and fail in the giving of true names, is I am Adam and his mother – and these failures are my job.
0: Huh. And which poem was that?
1: that was it's called The Making of Poems by Lucy Lucille Clifton. Clifton. She's yeah. a wonderful poet. Yeah, in fact, in, in the introduction, Tony Morrison describes how Lucille Clifton was so beloved by contemporaries and by mm-hmm. protégés that people tended to overlook what a wizard huh. of a poet she was yeah. and what a profound intellect she yeah. had. Yeah. She's, she's really amazing. She's going to have... A, a huge upswing in her, yeah, in her reputation, yeah. but similar to Bishop's, I mm-hmm. think. And uh, because she has nature timber. Uh, yeah. And also, you know, I think what we were doing with The Dish, and I hope what I did at The New Yorker, certainly now with Kevin Young, um, it's happening resplendently, is a reflection too of our of our poetry. Poets of color are at the glorious center of American poetry right now. And this has a great deal to do with the achievement of Toy Derricotte and Cornelius Eady, who Mm. I think just about 20, maybe 21 years ago, founded Cave Canem. And Mm. if you, this was a black collective, and if you got in, Mm -hmm. and you went, and you were mentored by a significant, distinguished contemporary black poet, and I think that If you got in, you could go three summers in a row. I'm not sure. You'd have Uh, to look this Mm -hmm. up. You could go to this collective.
0: It was like a summer program. For one week. For one
1: week. And if you got in, you were mentored. Yeah. And one young poet I know said that uh, it was in Pennsylvania. He was our program's director, Sharif Shanahan. Oh, yeah. And he said um, that after one of the workshops, a few of them were going into town. They thought they might go into a tavern and have a – a glass of beer or something and they looked at each other and said, no, no, let's not break the spell. (laughs) That was how sacred that was Uh and I don't believe that the people who go to Cave Canem have to have published a book in order to mentor younger poets and I think – taking that onus off people to have to publish mm-hmm. as if that's how you really prove you know how to write a poem yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> you know you could write mm-hmm. you could write 15 pretty marvelous poems not have a book and still be ready to impart some knowledge to somebody else yeah. so Cave canum and Canto and Kundiman and the Asian American Writers Workshop, all of these have been really, really good at fostering new talent and giving Mm. people courage. Yeah.
0: It's because I I follow along with what what you do at the Poetry Society and all of you do there, the events you put on. It just seems very rich to me uh, in terms of the, the different kinds of voices you feature and the young poets you support even. And the, you We're, know, lucky. Yeah, We're lucky. Yeah. You know? And, and we
1: work at the Botanical Garden and have poems up in conjunction with every seasonal exhibit. Yeah. For, this is our 10th year. We mm-hmm. started with Emily Dickinson we, and, of course, we have Dickinson's poems. And then for the Monet show, we had Rambeau and Mallarmé and Baudelaire. Mm-hmm. And then for the Frida show, we had Octavio Paz, but lots yeah. of fa- fabulous mid-20th century Mexican mm-hmm. women poets, many of them yeah. translated by Forrest Gander, mm-hmm. a marvelous poet in his own right published by New Directions. Um, and so we're able to reach the public with with poems on placards up there. We've yeah. had student contests. Jackie Woodson mm-hmm. judged a contest because they had those glass sculptures of Chihuly. And I thought, I don't really oh, know right. one yeah. poet who can <laughs> curate the poetry walk for this show let's hit, we were honoring Jackie Woodson at our poetry society mm-hmm. benefit I said why don't I read the hundreds and h- under hundreds of poems by the high school students send her 75 and she'll choose some okay. and we've actually had a visiting poets program at Harlem Academy just mm-hmm. a month long every year for seven years mm-hmm. and four of the 12 poems she chose were by Harlem Academy oh, wow. students that's wonderful so yeah. th- that's another circle that you yeah. feel that this is our program it's very small mm-hmm. doesn't cost a lot of money Five poets come in for five weeks and teach fifth graders and seventh and eighth graders. Then there's a celebratory reading, which happens to be tonight, up in Harlem. Anyway, so I, I think we also have Poetry in Motion in Los Angeles and other cities. Oh, wow. and in the course of the more than 25 years of the program, it's been in 30 or 40 cities, which is marvelous. Um, you know, I, our mission is is to put place poetry at the crossroads of life, of yeah. American life, so that people see it in unexpected places and, mm-hmm. and, and have a chance to engage with it completely on their own without any scrim yeah. of, of the classroom or even so much as taking it down from the shelf.
0: Right. Yeah. Huh. We should probably start wrapping up. Yeah. But I, I did want to ask you to um, say a little bit about your, your stepping down as executive director yeah. of the of the Poetry Society. But they are throwing you a party, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> or there will be a, a, a big dinner, right? And, up at the Botanical and Gardens. Up at the Botanical Gardens. Mm-hmm. And, and it'll be you and, believe it or not, Paul Simon. Yeah. Right? Being honored. And, I'm so
1: excited because yeah. in the 70s at Knopf, we published his lyrics oh, in book wow. form. Yeah. And I remember his coming mm-hmm. into the office. It was like Doris Lessing coming <laughs> in or yeah. – Edna Lewis the cook, she yeah. was another regal mm-hmm. person who came to Knopf or anyway, mm-hmm. V. S. Night So it will be a thrill. And also Paul loves poetry. As okay. as we spoke up before we I think we started taping, he read it the Seamus Heaney tribute, which you oh, right. attended. He mm-hmm. loves loves Seamus' work. Cool. I think he also read it the Philip Larkin tribute. Tribute oh, wow. that we had at Cooper Union, which is where and, you
0: met Andrew and, Sullivan, right? Oh yeah, I, I think that was how the one oh. of the one of the ways the whole dish thing oh, came that's into being. Right. I was, asked Andrew yeah, to read. He, I knew that Andrew yeah.
1: loved poetry. Yeah, yeah, and you know one thing I wanted to mention about our world of poetry is that we're always paying tribute to poets in the past too. Mm-hmm. It's not we do pay tribute to contemporary poets and Mark Mark at age eighty and Jean Valentine at eighty, and but we also. You know, there's a new collected Larkin, so we celebrate Larkin, or yeah. it's Elizabeth Bishop's centennial, so we have a birthday bash for her yeah. on February 8th in 2011. And we had a wonderful event called Black Iconic Poets of the 20th Century at Cooper with a huge audience and lots mm-hmm. of music. That was really fantastic. And by the way, one of the people we celebrated, Etheridge Knight, is the subject of a new book by Terence Hayes, which a meditation oh, really? On oh wow! Terence's relationship yeah. to his work, and it is—it's really on the order of Susan Howe's "My Emily Dickinson," it's oh, really wonderful yeah. book, and it's published by Wave Books. But Matt, one thing I wanted to say was I'm, I sometimes wonder why people—I suppose because there's no Fiction Society of America the way there is a Poetry Society of America. But mm. wouldn't you like to go to a to a centennial of Anton Chekhov or? Yes. A celebration of Herman Melville, or I think mm-hmm. we should have more of what what is done constantly in the yeah. poetry world throughout literary and mm-hmm. visual and and performing arts. They could learn from the
0: poetry world, we is could what you're saying. Learn yeah, from yeah. Well, there, but, uh, you mentioned a Walt Whitman.
1: Oh, the bicentennial yeah. of Walt Whitman is launching.
0: And this is for New Yorkers. Any New Yorkers listening to this? But yeah. you go ahead, Alice. It's What's launching
1: that? on May 31. There is uh, something called the Walt Whitman Consortium, which has just published a broadside, which is available on their website, and it uh, describes all of the Whitman events that will be taking place starting in May and going throughout the whole year. Mm-hmm. We have one with, uh, that is sponsored with Poets House and the Academy of American Poets. That's May 2nd at Cooper Union. We have a big program at the Morgan Library, which has a very significant Whitman show a lot of things will take place at the New York Public Library that also has a wonderful show. <laughs> On the day itself, May 31st, the Brooklyn Library is having a reading of Song of Myself in every one of their 64 branches starting at noon. <laughs> wow. May 31, noon, every branch of the Brooklyn Public Library. Plus, there will be a whole weekend of events, which we're co-sponsoring, May 18th and May 19th Mm -hmm. at the Brooklyn Library. They've been doing incredible literary programming there.
0: Great. Well, and all the information for this, both the dinner... The, the, the Alice Quinn, Paul Simon celebration and the Whitman uh, events are available on the Poetry Society of America's website.
1: Yeah, Which our are, right? our benefit is June 18th benefit, and yeah. Paul is actually going to sing right? right. because the exhibit is devoted to – Roberto Burley-Marx, the great Brazilian landscape architect. Mm -hmm. And so the the garden has access to all these Brazilian (laughs) combos and he had that Brazilian-themed Rhythm of the Saints album. And so we arranged for a Brazilian combo to sing with Paul just after Billy Collins presents the Poetry Society honor to Paul Simon. And then they're going to sneak in a little moment thanks to me and establishing a prize in my name, yeah. which I think is incredibly sweet. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> well, any listeners interested should look that up on the Poetry Society of America's website. And and speaking of thanking you, Alice, I want to thank you. Thank, uh, you, thank you for being here with us, but thank you for for all you've taught me about poetry, all the poem, poems and poets you've introduced me to, and thank you for making the time to be here with us today.
1: Well, we had fun together, and yep. I had fun <laughs> today, too. Thanks. Thank you very
0: much. Yep.